Good morning and welcome everybody. You're listening to The Breakfast Show on Faith FM. 87.6, 87.8 or 88, right across Australia, right across the Faith FM network, wherever you are. This is positively different news in the morning, and you are with the double L team, Lyle and... Lawson! Lawson! The positively different news is the next section. It's all positively oh, different news. we're positively different radio. Yeah, but it's going to be positively different news on this show all the way through the show. Because we're going to start with positively different news by you, then we're going to have positively different news by me, which even though it is more serious, is positive because it indicates that Jesus is coming soon. Then we're going to have a positively different uh, news. We're going to learn about things during the interview of the uh-huh. day. Uh-huh. Then we're going to have some news about the Bible during the Bible study section. Then we're going to have some news where we're going to find out you know, what you're asking in question of the day as to, well, this will be the news of the day is that somebody asked this particular question question so it's going to be positively different and and then we have some great news right at the end of the show where we give something away for free so it's positively different news all the way through lyle thank you for that um incredible stretch right there to try and justify you misstating this, 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 this is not a the stretch show. this was this was not me <laughs> misstating this was me very intentionally promoting how positive okay, our okay, breakfast show is okay okay <laughs> it was a mistake like 100 he just doesn't want yeah, to but. admit it <laughs> Never. <laughs> what are you grateful for? This I morning? never make mistakes. I thought I did once. Oh, uh, oh yeah, yeah, but, but I was wrong. But, <laughs> I love that. What are you grateful for this morning? Lyle? I am grateful for. Hmm, well, okay. So I'm I'm in the middle of building a project. Uh huh. For my granddaughter. Uh, oh. It's the first thing I've ever built for my granddaughter. Uh huh. Or for a grandchild. I only have one grandchild. And it's nearly finished. So it's kind oh, of special to be able to go out. It yeah, it's a, it's a baby change table. Oh, that's amazing. It's kind of special to go out into the Custom. workshop and build something for your grandchild. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. All right, let's talk about some positively different news this morning. Okay, I have... One shorter story this morning, and then I want to do kind of yesterday was really cool that we kind of went through and did a, a longer profile on a story that was interesting and had implications. And so, I yeah, want, yeah, it was was really interesting. Yeah, it was, it was cool. And we, you know, we we're talking about you know college degrees for that the Target and Walmart are giving away and how that could affect. And we were trying to wrap our heads around. Who wins here? Okay. Well, What's today... What's the business plan? That's going to... A story similar to that is going to come a bit later. But this morning, I, uh, firstly, I wanted to talk about how um, Australia's larging, largest flying reptile has been uncovered. Oh, I saw this. A pterosaur with a wingspan of 23 feet. Which that is, is just ginormous. Like, this is basically a real-life dragon. This is what they're saying. This yeah, is, yeah, like, yeah. our first, you know, kind of experience with something like this. It, and, and it's cool that it's being found in Australia. You know, we we have lots of ancient wildlife here um, that is constantly being dug up. But, not you know, not much in the way of dinosaurs. You know, we haven't found big, uh, like, huge, ginormous T-Rex bones and stuff like that. But we are finding, uh, yeah, this massive pterosaur. And basically how they uncovered this was they found the jaw of this animal. Um, and it basically it's head, where it's eye socket is, all these different things. You know, it's this massive big thing. So it's got seven like metres across. Yeah. Seven metres. Over, seven. over, over yes. seven metres. Yes. Yes. I just looked it up. 23 feet. That, yeah. That's, just, that's massive. That's, that's literally like... 
That's not what you would see on. That's the size of what you would see on a TV show of dragons. That's like, that's like four me standing on top of each other. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like one seventy. So that's that's seven that's, meters. That's a m- lot of Lawson. That's massive. That's like this. Thing I would love to see that thing huge. flying around. What what kind of wings did it have? Like um, bat wings. Yeah, yeah, it's yes. a pterosaur, so it's a reptile. Yep, you know, it's got bat wings. big bat wings. Uh, I think the coolest thing about this was this was found by a PhD candidate, and they were the one that did, he was the guy, Tim Richards, who did all the research on this. So this was this kind of going towards his studies, which is really Should awesome. Go well, yeah. Should I'm go like, well. dude, give the guy a PhD if he uncovered and studied like one of the biggest pterosaurs, um, pretty much ever found in this country um yeah like i said huge big thing i feel like this is a it's a really kind of monumental find in this um in this area because they're always speculating like oh how big were they you know and they're always trying to kind of fill out what the the jurassic you know uh wildlife was like and they're trying to get an idea of that and so now that they've seen it and they're 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 stoked that's awesome all right my second story this morning, I wanted to talk about reefs um, and specifically some legislation that's coming in Thailand um, that was inspired by Hawaii and why we need it in Australia um, and, and kind of what's been going on with the reef in Australia as well. So basically, Thailand has announced um, that across all its marine national parks, it is banning sunscreens that contain um, chemicals known to damage coral. Okay. Um, so those chemicals... Uh, oxybenzone, octin, uh, octinazate, they're like the main ones. Yes. Um, and it says that, you know, this legislation is going to come in effective immediately, that you can't buy these... Um, you can't buy these products over the counter anymore, like... Done. It's over. Now, this was inspired by some legislation that came in in Hawaii that was signed signed through by the mayor of Hawaii, David um, uh, David Idge, I think his name is. Um, he signed a bill that did the same thing, banned all sunscreens with harmful chemicals. Uh, this they said it's not a hard thing to do. Exactly. They signed it back in 2018. It come into effect in January 1st this year. Yep. Um, you know, once they you know worked out how it would, they were really pioneering. Stop selling the stuff. Legislation. Wait, wait for the old stuff to run out, and, and that's 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 what they've done. Is yeah, like that they've easy. waited for the old stuff to run out, which they had massive stockpiles of, you know, and decided we're not importing anymore. We have done this so many times in the past with so many different products. Yeah. But the thing is, is that we don't have this legislation in Australia, um, and in fact, you know, just from some research I've I've been doing, it's pretty easy to come to the conclusion that. With our reef, in, at the Great Barrier Reef, probably one of the most beautiful locations on Earth. You know, so, like if any environment is worth protecting, it's that one. Yes, it's one of the most biodiverse and incredible reef systems in the world. Oh, unparalleled. We have no legislation to cover these kinds of things, and furthermore, it seems as though the government is making decisions to continue to harm the reef. Um, and this is like, and, and it's not just like. Yeah, uh, you know, and I'm not just, like, throwing shade at the government or whatever it may be because I don't like them, but I'm just recognising that in the last five years we have experienced, the Great Barrier Reef has experienced three um, mass bleaching events, um, and all of them were, every one that came along was bigger than the last, to the point where the last bleaching event we had, which was last year, um, 60% of the reefs across all three regions were affected with bleaching. Like, this is... Terrible, uh, and it's and it's okay. So, so 
what then, I mean, this is obviously brought about by warm ocean temperatures. Mm. What can our government do to change that? This is the thing, right? It's like, oh, if, if it's warm ocean temperatures, the reason they put the blame on warm ocean temperatures is because warm ocean temperatures cause stress to the coral. Yes. But anything can cause stress to the coral. That's why they're banning the sunscreen because they're like, oh. Yeah, absolutely. These- oh, this would be an easy one. Just sign into legislation, do it tomorrow. But, I, I totally agree. But at the same time, at the same time, like, you know, we are uh, in this in these regions. Um, you know, I, I was just I was just been reading up about. I mean, know, our reef is being destroyed by China, not by Australia. This is the thing. Like, I've been reading up about the um, some of the, you know, the infrastructure that they've been building there, the different ports and whatnot. Like, to build the port that they made in Cairns, like, one million cubic metres of seafloor had to be dredged to be able to do that. And we're talking about a reef location. Yes. And uh, my my thing with that is that in as, as far as a percentage of uh, area goes, so that's mm-hmm. cubic metres. So as far as area goes, it's a very small amount of area in a massive reef, and I don't like it, but it's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It's the warm water that is doing the, is doing the bleaching. Yeah, because this is the thing, is that if this is not the only, you know, uh, port that's being built, they're continuous, uh, continuously expanding now to, to Abbott Point, Hay Point, through Gladstone, like all these places. Sure, sure. That is bre- that, and then, you know, you, that means you're having more and more travel through these, point, uh, through these areas with, like, industrial ships which is ultimately leading to the water getting warmer and the bleaching continuing. Yeah, I would say that the big thing that is driving the warmer water is the pollution that's coming into the air out of China. Mm-hmm. But, okay. And I would say that, yes, everything that you're saying is absolutely valid uh-huh. and it is contributing, but on what percentage? Mm-hmm. You know, is it 0.001% compared to you look at the pollution that's coming out of China, India, places like this, that contribute to warmer water temperatures, that's where our real problem is. Mm-hmm. That's, that's who's killing our reef, not Australia. But then, it's, uh, then we have to ask the question... Now, like, now, I, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying, don't get me wrong here, <laughs> I'm not, I am not saying that we should, we should yeah. be ignoring what is taking place because we have a responsibility, a God-given yes. responsibility mm-hmm. to look after the environment. Uh, I'm just saying that we should keep it in perspective. Oh, 100%. And I think that, you know, everything that I've listed here this morning has been contributing factors. Yes. And I think it's like the, the ultimate thing for me is are we putting in checks and balances to make sure that these contributing factors stay, you know, low or are we just letting it run wild, which it seems like is happening. 0491064669 is the number to call if you uh, have an opinion. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So moving on to more serious news, one of the greatest scourges on society Mm -hmm. uh, that we have in many Western secular countries, in fact, many countries around the world, is gambling. Yes. Um, Has always been a scourge to society, always will be. It causes uh, a massive amount of death by suicide. Mm. It tears families apart. It destroys people. It creates homelessness. Uh, The list of social ills created by gambling is just off the charts. Yeah. And Tasmania has introduced some legislation to endeavour to combat that. Mm -hmm. Uh, The idea behind this legislation I think is great because anything we do, I mean, hey, we should just go back to where we were, you know, when I was a kid where, hey, there was only one casino in Australia and that was one too many. It existed in Tasmania, of course, but it was still one too many and we had a lot less gambling back then and we just need to get rid of it because it, actually does nothing productive for mm. 
anyone or mm-hmm. anything except for casinos and governments who are basically trading in misery. Yeah. They call it the like gambling and the lottery, all these things. They call it the you know, the poor tax essentially. Exactly. It's 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 a massive tax on poor people. Anyway, so Tasmania has uh, decided to do something about it. Go Tasmania. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have introduced legislation that uh, requires you to commit. So this is this is mandatory legislation. This is mm-hmm. not a, an opt-in kind of situation like you've got in Victoria, where you, where gamblers have to commit to an amount they are prepared to lose over twelve months, and then cannot gamble past that. So basically, at the That's beginning wild. at the beginning at the beginning of twelve months, you sit down and say, "Okay, I'm prepared to lose this much money," uh-huh. and then you gamble until that money's gone, and then you then you're locked out. You're locked out. Yes. How do they enforce that? Okay, so this is where it all comes unstuck. Because mm. when you hear that, it's like, that's really awesome. And I would think, okay, that should not be a difficult thing for Tasmania to write an algorithm that tracks how much money people are losing on gambling. Yeah, you just... You know, you, you, just, yeah, you work through your gambling organisations. 100%. It's just that, like, you... um. Yeah, when when you go to a place where you can gamble, it scans. Say it turns your 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 driver's license into a you know some kind of thing that you put in the machine. It scans and say, oh, you've done this much. You have an account that's linked to the government. Like, easy. and if you're going to do it online, same thing. Yeah, exactly. You're going to go do it on the horses, same thing. Mm. It sh- it should not be difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's where it comes in. Here's, here's where some of the problems come in. So basically. Um, you know, once they once they reach the limit, they're denied access, which is fantastic. But it's only applied to loyalty programs. So, if you're a member of a loyalty program at a particular casino, and there are two of these casinos in in Tasmania that have loyalty programs, mm-hmm. it only applies to loyalty programs. So, it only applies to two casinos. Um, it gives it allows easy access anywhere else. There are only 996 people who are on this loyal on either of these loyalty programs right now. Um, and so what it does is it has no effect on addicts. So this is useful for people who, you know, who want to gamble responsibly, if there is any such thing as gambling responsibility, responsibly. It's got no effect on addicts because we all know that an addict will go anywhere and do anything to get a fix Yep. and take any risk. Mm. And so it doesn't apply to pokies that are in pubs or you know any of the other kind of online online gambling online is uh, the horses all that kind of stuff you know it just goes you know the TAB doesn't apply to any of that. Dude, the online industry for gambling is by way bigger than the in person industry now. Like just like anything. That's right. Like they 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 pay like famous like live streamers on the internet like literally give them million dollar endorsements to to do one stream gambling just to promote their site because they know the influx that's going to come in. Yep. Like, it's huge. Anyway, so so I look at this legislation and I sort of think, well, this may, may help some people who, who are what you might call a more responsible gambler but who doesn't actually realise how much they lose in a year. Mm. It might help somebody like that. But really, uh, this is just too little. It's total half measure. Uh, and, and, and really, the reason that the government is doing this is because they want to be seen to be doing something about uh, the problem of gambling. Mm-hmm. They want to look good. They're, they're posturing so that they look good, like, yes, we're addressing the issue of gambling, while they're not. And the reason that they're not doing that is because gambling is the best 
free tax system that they have. Mm-hmm. It's their way of taxing poor people, underprivileged people, taxing them into absolute destruction, taxing them until they are out on the street, uh, living, you know, and 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 living off of that tax and getting all of that income. It's the government trading in misery, and. Uh, they don't want to lose that tax, and so yep. well, man. Let's make us make make ourselves look good by. Uh, in, it's a bit like, it's a bit like when they do gun laws in in America, and they're like, oh, you know, let's 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 ban, let's ban rifles with high capacity magazines, which uh, you know account for zero point zero one percent of all the gun. gun deaths. Yeah, in the United States. Yeah. Or they say let's let let's ban assault weapons. Well, there's no such thing as an assault weapon. There's no definition for an assault weapon. Yes, you know, and and, and all it is is making themselves look good uh, rather than actually doing anything that's in any way yeah. uh, practical as far as you know that kind of legislation goes. <laughs> yeah, well. So, independent Andrew Wilkie um, has stated that this is entirely unsatisfactory. That it must apply to all players. How obvious is that? And it must apply to all machines. How obvious is that? Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants there to be a daily limit rather than a twelve-month limit, which I think is a fantastic idea as well. Because you know, if you combine those two together, then people have a very good understanding of how they're gambling. And with the daily limit spread out over twelve months, it means that you can't reach your your limit. You know, six months in, and then have to deal with, you know, ways of working around that for the rest of the year because you are an addict. Mm. All right. Uh, of course, we, we mentioned that uh, uh, oh, yeah, independent uh, Meg Webb has stated that this is a baby step and it's not dealing with pubs. Um, she wants to see $1 limits on poking machines. She wants to see lower jackpots and she wants to see slower spins. Mm. All of these are good things. All of them are too little. Uh, we need to go back to where we were and just get rid of the things and find, you know, if the government wants to raise taxes somewhere, let them raise it somewhere else, but not not by taxing uh, people, not not by just cashing in on addicts because yeah. that's all that the government is doing right here mm. and this is all that casinos are doing. We've got this Royal Commission into Crown Casino right now, you know, uh, about money laundering. Who would have thought that an organisation that has absolutely no conscience at all and that trades <laughs> in human misery would be susceptible to uh, being used by organised crime and turning a blind eye to it at the least. In your best-case scenario, they turned a blind eye. Mm. <laughs> yeah, wow. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Anyway, mm. um, we did say New Hampshire just introduced legislation that mean that uh, is in relationship to churches, Ooh. that they cannot be targeted during COVID lockdowns and must have the same rules applied to them as other essential services. So this would be the only place wow. in the world where uh, you don't have churches being discriminated against mm-hmm. uh, and churches being recognised as an essential service. And so basically what they're saying is, yes, you can apply lockdowns to a church, but it has to be the same as what you apply to, you know, Bunnings or a restaurant mm. or a football stadium, wow. which are non-essential services. You can't go further with the church. And, of course, uh, in the Western world we have seen universally wow. churches have been discriminated against far more than restaurants or football stadiums. Yeah, 100%. We're in lockdown right now. We can't go to church. Like, I, I believe in good health, but yeah, Absolutely. we need to find yeah. the balance. That's right. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. 
positively right, different. Fantastic stuff. Okay, so going to our interview of the day. Joining us on the phone this morning is Luke Ferrugia from Oz Table Talk. Luke, welcome to the show. Ah, thanks for having me, Lyle. Good morning. Now, of course, a uh, quick reminder that uh, Oz Table Talk is basically four young guys who get together and talk about all of the issues that they might talk about over fellowship lunch, if such a thing as fellowship lunches were happening in most of Australia right now. I guess up in uh, Bundaberg, you're still doing that kind of thing, are you? Yeah, I, we yeah we still do. Up here, it's almost as if COVID didn't happen. We're very blessed. So. <laughs> <laughs> Keep praying it stays that way. I don't Absolutely. hold out great uh, hopes for your future. It seems to mm. be uh, to be spreading. If I were you guys, I would definitely be making plans for when the lockdown comes rather than if. But uh, hey, that's just the, yep. just the world in which we live right now. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it is. So basically, it's, 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 it's the, the concept behind this is what would guys be talking about after church when they're having fellowship lunch around the table? Let's record it. And, of course, it's grown then from there to uh, I guess you've had requests that have come in from, you know, different listeners like can we talk about this, can we talk about that, different questions yeah. that you've been answering. Um, been going for a number of years now. Um, what, what have you guys been talking about this last month? Uh, well, there's been a few things this month. The one that actually uh, went out most recently, one that, that came out this week, uh, was a discussion, one of those uh, listener requests that you, that you mentioned. Uh, and the question was, is ecumenism evil? Is there anything wrong with ecumenism as, a, as an idea? Ooh, that is an epic so that was a, question. Yes. It was. <laughs> it was. It was a fun one to do because, you know, there's, there's so many things and you can come at it from multiple directions because it's, yeah, you know, for those that don't, aren't familiar with the term, you know, ecumenism is the idea of churches working collaboratively rather than in their own silos and, and being more individual organizations that, that coming together. And the, basically what, what some of the ideas that we came to is that coming together in, in and of itself is not a bad thing. On those things that we can find agreement on, that is great. But when you get to, like, in theory, it sounds great, but when you get to practice, it's not always as easy as all that because if there are two different churches that affirm like completely different gospels, so to speak, like different ways to, to connect yourself and be, be saved by, by Jesus, if you've got a different theology about that and you're, and you're collaborating with, with another church and let's say you're doing evangelism, then that can be very problematic because when the people come in, they're going to get confused. They're going to be receiving different ideas about what God expects of them, and it's going to be a bit of a mess. And so th- there are some ways that I think we can definitely work together, but there are also some ways that this doesn't work very well at all. It's, um, you know, when we look back in history, whether it be ancient history, modern history, medieval history, or any kind of history, you have to stop mm. and ask yourself the question, has there ever been a war fought that where religion wasn't, you know, front and center as one of the major motivating factors behind that war. And yeah. I would challenge any of our listeners to find me a war that hasn't had that kind of uh, situation to it. And so when we look at yeah. that, then surely an, an element of ecumenism uh, would be a positive thing as far as promoting peace in our world. Yeah, yeah. And that, that like I said, it sounds good in, in theory, doesn't it? It does. I mean, you look at you look at, say, for instance, some of the more extreme examples, like the troubles in Northern Ireland. And I'm old enough to remember when that was a major thing. And you would hear about, you know, a Catholic got shot this week, and three Protestants got shot the next week, and you know, another five Catholics yeah. got shot. And it was yeah. all between, you know, Catholics and Protestants, and it was a religious war. 
and yeah. it was horrific, and it gave Christianity a terribly bad name um, mm. because it was so upfront about being a religious war. Mm. Yeah, and, absolutely. And so in, in these kinds of environments, we need some ecumenism. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true because if we don't if we don't work together, then we end up having issues. And I think that's one of the that's one of the things that uh, I was mentioning before. Like there are some places where ecumenism is, is completely appropriate, and I think that is one of those places. Yes, and vital. And and, mm. and I think that you know the whole ecumenical movement that we've had, you know, in the last uh, I don't know how long has it been around for 60, 70, 80 years, whatever, uh, has yeah. helped in some of those areas. Uh, probably in, in, in armed conflict, it's mean, meant that we have put less emphasis on the religious side of it and more emphasis on the political side than what we would have done in the past. Yeah. But then I think what you raise then about different Gospels, then that's an entirely different perspective altogether again. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Did you, um, yeah. did you, did you guys... Get, 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 yeah, I just uh, let me throw this question out, Rick. Did you get, get to dig into like you know the Bible talks about an ecumenical movement in the Book of Revelation, you know, Revelation thirteen, Revelation sixteen, places like that? Were you able to dig into some of those passages that talk about end time? Yeah, we talked ecum- about. Yeah, we, we talked about some of those things because ultimately, if you can, um, like when you look through the the end of time as as Revelation presents it. You know, we see that this ecumenism comes forward that is not as healthy because it's actually unifying people on the basis of, of false ideas about God. And so we were talking about the fact that there, we have to draw our line where, where ecumenism can have an effect and where it cannot. And yes. so, yes, we, we did talk about that too. Yes. Fascinating yeah. stuff. Oh, I'm definitely going to uh, jump on to uh, Oz Table Talk and have a listen to that one. That's an, a, a subject that interests me greatly. Mm. All right, what else have uh, what else have you spoken about? Okay, so uh, we we have started a series picking individual um, words that should be considered, you know, theological or whatever, and then uh, doing complete episodes on them to try to demystify them. And uh, we, we did two such episodes in, in the last month. One, we did a, an episode on submission, the idea of, of what submission actually means in, in Scripture. And that was, that was a fun episode. And there were, there were some people that, that I guess thought we were taking that a different direction. Yeah, some people thought we were talking about men and women and all the rest of it. But actually what we were talking about was uh, the, the principles of submission in Scripture, like ranging from submission to government, submission to each other, like as fellow believers and uh, just, and children to parents and, and talking about how those relationships interact in a godly way. It's not something that is super popular in our world today. We are not trained to submit to anyone. No, no. It's almost as if that somehow makes us less of a person. And what so did you find as a result is, of the discussion? Did you find that submission made you less or more of a person? Definitely more of a person <laughs> because we were talking about the character development that that happens, and also the the importance of in what's the word I'm looking for informed submission, right? Like we, we're not uh, submission to somebody else does not mean I'm going to totally assimilate my personality into that person, and whatever they think is what I think. That's not submission at all. Submission is an intelligent relationship between two people, and in, if we are doing it the way God intended it to be, we are going to be relating to each other in love. We're not, and the person's 
ideally we're submitting to each other, so we're actually uh, lifting up each other's mutual needs. And in, in doing that, and no matter which side of the relationship you are on, can be done in a Christ-like way, because we pointed out, we looked at the ultimate example, right, where, where Jesus himself, it says that he submitted himself, and if we're supposed to be following him, then we need to learn how to submit in a, in a godly, informed, and loving way. It sounds like a, um, a really interesting discussion and one that is incredibly important for our world right now, particularly mm. when you know we have this attitude of you know I will never submit, not under any kind of circumstances, you know, yeah. and you know it, it, it's it's relevant for right now. We've got we've got lockdowns, we've got vaccinations, yeah. we've got you know where do we submit to the government, where do we not submit to the government? Very interesting discussion right there. Yeah, it was a great one. It was a great one. The other, the other word study that we did was uh, on sanctification because, again, it's a, it's a, a religious kind of term that we throw around a lot, but isn't necessarily uh, like it could be cliche. You know, we, if we use it a lot without actually defining what we mean by it, so um, that was a that was a fun uh, a fun episode as well. So just talking about the nature of of Christian growth, I guess you could say, as, as we become more and more like Jesus, what does that process look like? Who is active in the process and, and how do we uh, encourage it to happen, I guess? Yeah, and, and you've got this discussion that sort of, I don't know whether you guys got into this or not, as to whether sanctification is a part of salvation or not. Uh, mm. I find it happening within our church. I find it happening within other churches. And it kind of really puzzles me. I mean, the Bible has a lot to say about sanctification. It probably has more to say about sanctification than it does justification, but probably using different mm. terminology for it. Uh, yeah. Because it does, the Bible doesn't always use that particular word to describe the same thing. But mm. it's like, why, why is it that people are so keen on justification and so not keen on sanctification? Did you get a chance to, to delve into that at all? Uh, yeah, we, we talked about that possibly through a slightly different lens. We were talking about how uh, people, the people who are passionate about sanctification, tend to be doing it uh, from a, um, a a different motivation. If, if that, some people that seems to be all their focus is. You know, we were talking about how when we are working in our own strength to try to get sanctified, you know, when we're trying to become perfect or whatever it is, that can end up being toxic. But at the same time, if we reject it altogether then that can lead us to a bad place as well. And so we were looking, we, we spent a lot of our focus, I guess you could say, on if we uh, if, if we connect ourselves with Jesus, the Holy Spirit does the sanctification, right? And while ever we are connected to Him, He is doing that work in us if we're allowing Him to. And so the focus shouldn't be on uh, justification and justification only. It shouldn't be on sanctification and sanctification only. The focus should be on connecting ourselves with, with Jesus, letting the Holy Spirit do that work in us and, and not resisting Him. Because as, as the more we get to know Him, the more that will just happen naturally. Yes, yes. Very interesting, doing some of these uh, theological Christianese kind of terms. You'll have to do uh, one on propitiation sometime maybe. Um, yeah, yeah, that would be good. We're, we're keeping a list of words that we can use when we get back to that theory. So. Or lasciviousness. I'm just sort of thinking. Yeah. Of, I'm sort of thinking of some of these words that you see pop up in the Bible from time to time. And it's like nobody knows what that actually means. Maybe we should talk yeah. about it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So you've done you've done a couple of word uh, word studies. You've yep. done the uh, one on ecumenism. Uh, yep. That's three. Did you do a fourth one this last yep. month? Yeah. There's one more. One more, which was. Um, two core, two questions in one. Can you can we prove that God exists? And even if we could, should we? Right. And of course, when we say 
when we say prove, that is prove in the sense of like should it, should that be our goal? Proving God exists is is that really what Christians can do and should do? Okay, so basically talking about the scientific method then of proving that God exists, because that's probably what we would refer to as proof, because there's you know the difference between proof and evidence. I would say so. Um, you yeah. know, something that is is uh, testable, uh, observable, testable, and repeatable. Yeah, that's right. And so, uh, in you know, in strictly scientific terms, I don't believe that it's possible to prove God exists in the same way that we can prove that two plus two equals four. We can't prove God exists in that way. The the problem that um, that Christians have, but also the problem that atheists have, is that we are all submitting to the same submitting the same evidence. We all look at the world around us, the experiences we have, and we submit that as evidence for whatever our worldview is. And so we are all operating with the same information. What changes is the interpretation of that. And so we were talking about how there is excellent, excellent, excellent evidence for the existence of God and for his presence in the world. But we should also recognize that you know, if we go further than that and, and we try to, um, I guess, exhibit it on the same level as a, as a mathematical equation and proof, that is... Uh, that also isn't necessarily the best use of our, uh, you know, of the gospel or of how we can do that. But one of the things that we sort of focus our discussion around, which is possibly more of more interest to the listeners, is that on the question of should we? Because if God wanted to prove in in that like hard hard science sense, if He wanted to prove His existence that way, He could do that, right? He's God. So the fact that there is room for people to believe differently. That is evidence of God Himself allowing them free will. He's not going to force the people around Him to believe in Him and to submit themselves to Him. He's going to give adequate evidence. So if they are open to Him, they can become assured of His of His presence and of what He's doing in their life and His, his existence. But He's never going to force the people to do that. Yes, because if He forced people to do that, then you would have people that would do it very, very begrudgingly and hatefully. Uh, and God doesn't want mm. that kind of service. This is a good point, and, and I'm glad that you raised it. Uh, Luke, thank you so much for sharing with us some of the conversations that you've been having there on Table Talk. And, of course, if you want to hear the uh, the full episodes, where do we go? You can go get them all on our website, OzTableTalk, A-U-S, OzTableTalk.com.au. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Luke Ferugia. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.